and amen. Um, you know, sometimes when we've done a lot of series, haven't we, uh, through the past months or whatever, uh, we're going to finish up here on lament or complaining or crying out to God, though sometimes we say, you know, we have enough darkness in our lives. Why do we have to keep bringing this up and bring this up in a message or whatever? Is because that darkness in your life and my life never goes away. So we can hide in the closet, but that's not going to work. You know, we can crawl under the bed, and that's not going to work. Those problems are still going to be there. And that's just kind of like a way of life. And I think how appropriate as I wind this series down is our last uh, uh, passage of scriptures from Jesus' words from, from the Gospel of John, 1633. And he says, in this world we all have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we're going to finish this up with some great news. I hope, amen. So amens are fine. Uh, if not, if we don't hear any amens, I figure we're doing something wrong up here. But you know something, we can't go wrong with God's word. Amen and amen. My journey of lament uh, began before most of you were even born. My grief turned to tears and sorrow as I watched in horror My, our family pet, our dog, we were on an outing, drowned before my very eyes. I was maybe eight years old, eight or nine years old. Then years later, I witnessed the agony of watching and hearing my mother cry out to God for more air as she experienced one horrible asthma attack after another, which eventually took her life at 43 years old. However, many years later, when I became a born-again Christian, that's when it hit me. That's when I finally understood that God hears and he heals through our brokenness. And oftentimes, that's when God does his, if you will, his best work in our brokenness. It's so easy to follow God when things are going so well in our lives that it's almost we reach a point where we don't really need him. But my goodness, my, my brothers and sisters, in your brokenness, turn to your Lord because it's in those moments where he will reveal some wonderful things to you and help you grow in your faith because, see, all of us are in this journey together of lamenting, of crying out to God. God, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Will my life ever change? What's going on? You know, I guess it's really true of the old saying that is, that, uh, you know, you have, you've got your troubles and I've got mine. We've got them. We've got problems. So what do we do with our problems? We are living in a world that is really racked with trouble. Amen? I mean, it's all around us. What are we to do? Well, God gives us some real suggestions of how we can really 
turn to Him. And so this morning, I want to conclude this, this series with three ways we can learn from lamenting. And there's more, but I'm just going to kind of settle for three this morning. And the first one is God fights for us in our dark moments. We're going to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, then 12, 15, and 17. So we're going to kind of be jumping around here in Chronicles. We'll start with 1 through 4. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in the Hezron Tamar, that is, and Jedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all the people. Am I getting some... The, the, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. In verse 2, a vast army came from Edom and was coming against King Jehoshaphat. And it advanced up the west side of the Dead Sea. And in verse 3, we go back to verse 3, Jehoshaphat was alarmed because he realized that he didn't have the resources to battle against this enemy. So what does he do? This moved him to what? Inquire of the Lord and call for a fast across the land. In his fright, he prayed in verse 12, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat was in dire straits. He knew that they were powerless, but he also knew that God was not, that he was all-powerful. He said in verse 12c, but our eyes are on you. But our eyes are on you. One expression of confidence, hope, and faith. But our eyes are on you. That is implying that God was going to supply their needs. Amen? Our eyes are on you. I just love that. That one little phrase. Verses 15 through 17. He, you know, you need to go back to 14. He, referring to the Levite, I think his name is Jehazreel, and this really is this Levite in what the words God had given him to share to, with Jehoshaphat. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the, the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out. 
to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Memorize that. What a great verse that is. And for good measure, the Levite, he repeats the first part in, in 17b. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army. This assuring message ends with, and God will be with you. They had the promise of God's protective presence. Remember whatever battle you are going to face or await you, that that battle is still in God's hands. He will be there for you and fight for you. That's what he believe it was telling Jehoshaphat. God will be there and he will fight for you. So you just be cool, trust, and watch what God's going to do. He's going to do something great for you, for God's glory, not for yours, but for his. And in that moment in time, Jehoshaphat trusted. He trusted the words. God's going to fight for us. It's going to work out. But there's a condition. Again, I said it three times. Trust. The Lord will fight for you. Great words. He will fight your battles. But what should be our response? Our response should be to trust in his word. To trust. It's one thing to say, I'm reading his word. I got it. I got it in my head. But then you turn around and you walk away from it. It's only when we go through the bad stuff in life, when these words come out and come alive, they only come alive when we activate them. See my point? You know, you know, you know, you know, because you've experienced what I'm just talking about. It's when we activate the word that his power comes forth. The Bible is meaningless if we don't put it into practice. It's more than just words on a page. It's God's revelation to us. We're to act on it, act on his promises that he gives us in his word. Amen? Well, that was a weak amen. All right, that's a better amen. Very good. So um, now let's continue here. And go to the second thought. I'm pondering this because maybe I could have worded it a little bit differently. I, my, number, my second thought is your pain will not last forever. So how am I going to frame that? Your pain will not last forever. Now we're going to go to Revelation 21 verses 1 through 4. You're thinking, how can we go from Jehoshaphat, you know, and the struggles, and then go to the book of Revelation? But there's something that we need to see here. We need to see that our future eternal resting place has so much to do with how we perceive God today and how we view our world and our struggles. So we're going to stick with this because I think there's some real nuggets in these verses, and I hope that you, you will see them as well. Okay. 
you ready. This is going to be exciting. Okay? So I'm, I'm getting all pumped up. Get ready, because this is going to be exciting. Then, verse 1, then through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the order, old order of things has passed away. In verses 1 and 2, John sees the new Jerusalem and he sees the new earth descend from where? From heaven. This new earth will never again be haunted by, listen, by evil, by sin, by pain, death, or Satan. For John the sea here, he's talking about the sea on this earth, for John represented evil, evil or unrest, will be gone from God's creation. And I love this. Jerusalem is the new city with the same old name. That was God's design. So, so what, what, when, if somebody says to you, okay, a trivia question, what city will remain with the same name in heaven when the new heaven, new earth comes down? It's going to be Jerusalem, the same one. That was God's design. Now, I want us to go back. I want us to look at verses 2 and 3. And as we read them again, I want you to really pick up on the intimate language used here. This is so, so important, I believe. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The New Jerusalem is not simply described as a geographical location, but as a bride. The New Jerusalem speaks of a tenderness and a joyousness. By using the marriage language, we can all understand. What does this mean? The first impression of God's new order is not the splendor of heavenly wealth. He doesn't just show a bunch of money, a bunch of this stuff. It's not the splendor of Heavenly beauty, you know, doesn't talk here in this section about streets of gold, you know, gates made of just pure, pure pearls and other kind of wonderful stones and, and, a, and a river that's going to flow, it's going to be so beautiful you can see right to the bottom. No, he doesn't. So what does he do? Instead, he sees a new bride. Think about that. What does he see? The first thing he sees is 
a new bride. We are the bride. We are the bride of Christ. We are his one and only. We are his pride and his joy. We are his treasure. We are his first love. How else can we say that? Just how much God loves us. It would be like, it would be like you were invited, Roger, you're invited to the mansion of the wealthiest man in the world. I'm talking about Elon Musk. We put somebody else. Okay, you're invited. So you enter this awesome mansion. And you're met by the wealthy man. He first introduces you to his family. This is my bride. This is my wife. The, here are my children. You know, there's Harriet, there's Roger, there's Alice, there's Fred. And everything else is secondary on his mind. That's all he's saying. These are my people. The same it is in the kingdom of God. Imagine, imagine this, that God in Christ, now you can, we can have a theological debate on where we actually see God in heaven. I don't want to go down that road. Or, you know, God in Christ. We're going to see God. We're going to see Jesus because they will dwell personally with us in this new order. We will be the benefactors of something unbelievably wonderful. Something so spiritually, eternally wonderful, we can't even comprehend it totally. And in the midst, and then in verse 4, really tops it off, where every tear will be wiped away. Every brokenness of sin that causes pain and sorrow will be wiped away. We need to have that kind of perspective, I believe, to deal with our problems today. That heavenly perspective helps us live out each and every day because one day we are going to experience just what I shared with you as believers in Christ. Tell you, time goes by fast, doesn't it? You know? Roger and Lynn met them. Lynn was, was pregnant with, I think, first child. Where did the time go? Where did it go? So we are on this earth only a very, very fraction of time. Our eternity is forever and forever and forever. So we need to be in tune with this. You know, people say, well, that's for when we die. You could die tomorrow. I could die tomorrow. You could die today. You better, we better be thinking about heaven and be, and be talking about it because that's where we're going to eventually be. That's what drives us. Isn't that interesting? That if we didn't have a heaven, why would we be here? If we're just going to be just a blob of nothing when we die, and we don't believe in the afterlife, then why are we here? We're here because we know that it is true. We're here because we know that one day we will see Jesus Christ face to face. Will you have any questions for Jesus when you see him? I'm going to have a lot of questions. 
But I had that opportunity to go one-on-one -on -one with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and so will you. This helps us. It helps me overcome my current struggles because I know what I know what I know. That Jesus is real. That he died on that cross for all of us. So that one day that is believing in him, we will have eternal life with him. That's the ball game. That's it. And to be able to see our, our, those who have, have gone before us, uh, amazing. You know, we're benefactors of, of this wonderful new world, new creation, along with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before us. Amen. But let's get to my, my third thought in the meantime. Get back to John 16, 33. Jesus said, I've told you these things so, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus reminds us that we are living between two worlds. We are, as I said many times, we are already, but not yet. As believers in Christ, we are ready for heaven, but God has not called us yet. When you walk down your road of despair, when you walk down that road, your road of despair, be honest. When you're going through your struggles, I hope you are. I hope you're honest. And you, you can ask Jesus boldly what you need in that struggle. And if you trust in him, he will supply that need. It might not be exactly the way you want it to be, but he will supply that need. That's his promise, not mine. As, as I think most of you know that uh, we, Jan lost her best friend here about two, three weeks ago. And... So I'm in the process of ministering to her, her husband. We've known this couple for 48 years. And there's been always a saying in our relationship with Dennis, that's the husband's name, Dennis, was he, he is very difficult to talk about the faith because he was, he's such an analytical person. You know, I, I say that on all... You know, the guy's got a Ph.D. in chemical engineering. This guy is wired so different and the way he thinks. And sometimes his mind gets in the way of his heart. So for years we kid about Dennis being saved. And we've tried, I've tried to witness Jane as many people through the years. And Dennis uh, was a Catholic. And so he was dealing with a lot of issues uh, back in those days when he was going to church as a younger person. Uh, so here we are. I never thought, I never really thought about this. I had lunch with him the other day. And then we're talking about, you know, many things. How much he missed his wife. Only been three weeks. I don't know. And I said to him, I said, you know, Dennis, I said, 
yeah, I, I haven't lost my wife, but I've been there. I've lost loved ones. And as you know, I said, I, lo I lost a child. And I said, I, and the pain comes, and it's true, it comes, I think all of you attested, I've lost somebody dear to you. You know, when you have people around you, you can kind of, your mind is preoccupied. You're thinking of other things. But it's when you are alone, you're down time, when it really comes back to you. When the pain, the emotion, the memories come back. And I said to Dennis, I said, you know, Dennis, that, I felt that. I felt when I went to bed for about two weeks, for about two weeks, that I was almost afraid to go to bed because then I'd be alone with my thoughts, my emotions, and how I'd lay in that bed and just miss my daughter so, 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 so much that I'd cry out to, to our Lord and say, Jesus, I can't deal with this. I need your comfort. I need your peace. And every time, Jesus would come through with the comfort and the peace. And he gave me peace. And then I would praise him and thank him for that peace. Let your lament, let your cries to your God be a time of praise and a time of worship. I guarantee you, if you haven't experienced this already, in your struggles, if you would just take the time to praise your Lord and to worship Him, that makes a world of difference on how you will respond to that struggle. Amen? Let your lament bring comfort from your God, from your Jesus. Allow him to comfort you. Allow him to minister to you. Allow him to be Jesus. He knows your pain. He knows my pain. If you, consider this, if you allow Jesus to help you fight your battles, he will heal you. He will teach you a new transforming way of how to live. He will do that for you. I say that because he's done it for me. And we're all in this together. I'm not any greater than you, nor are you greater than I. We're all just marching together. Our Lord loves us that much. But some people, even Christians, now this is for all of us. Sometimes... Sometimes we just won't let Christ in. Sometimes we won't let him in. You know, we have this going on. We say, no, no, I know it. I understand it. I understand it. My friends tell me this. My friends tell me, God, I have faith. They have to do this. They give me scripture, whatever, but I won't let him in. I won't let him help me overcome this struggle. But my point is, in reality, God wants, Jesus wants to give us peace. He wants to give us hope. He wants to give us strength in it. 
So as I close, as I close, don't fear. Please don't doubt what Jesus Christ can do in your life. He is always, he is, he is always ready to reach out to us if we're willing to reach out to him. Are you reaching out to him today in your lament? Are you reaching out to him? I hope so. If not, he wants you to reach out to him. Because at the end of the day, Jesus Christ is the only one that can heal that broken heart. It's only Christ. He's the one. And he so, so wants to heal us. But we need to call out to him. We need to trust him. Amen. Jesus would say in closing, be at peace. Be at peace. For he, your Lord, has overcome the world. Jesus is with us. Who can be against us? It goes on and on and on. Lord, we praise you and we thank you, Lord. So much for who you are. That you love us. That you died on that cross for us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for a brother or sister here today that is just struggling. And they're struggling even to reach out to you, Lord. That you will give them the conviction and the strength through your Holy Spirit. And the willpower to reach out to you in their struggles. We thank you, Lord, that we can call on you day and night. We thank you, Lord, that you have not left us void on this planet. That, Jesus, we have you. Your presence and your power. Your truth and your word to sustain us in the good times and the hard times. We give you praise. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.